Well, happy Mother's Day, and the theme or the title of our message this morning is, Are You My Mother? Many of you are familiar with this book, I am sure. It's one of my favorites. I have it on the bookshelf when my kids were little. But I want to start off recognizing today that Mother's Day, this day in particular, can be a very painful one for a lot of people. You may have lost your mother, or you may have lost a child. Maybe you're not able to be a mother, or perhaps your mother was not the mother that you needed. Our message today, hopefully, is one that's going to expand our definition of what and who a mother is. Now, I'm just going to give you a little uh, tidbit about myself. When I was in high school, my nickname was Mom. Not because I was a mom, because I don't want you starting those rumors. However, I was the girl who people came to when they had skipped school the day before, and I wrote them their excuse note. And they would take it, yes. They would take it to the office, and for some reason, for three years at Sammamish High School, those ladies in the office did not ever recognize the same handwriting over and over. So, yes, uh, I have no idea why that even started, and I didn't even know half these kids. They just knew to come to me, and I'd write something that looked like a grown-up wrote it. There you go. Well, before we get into our message today, I did want to go over some famous moms, and as you already saw, we all know, who's this? Carol Brady. Brady Bunch. Who's this? The old, not old Mother Hubbard, the woman who lived in a shoe that had so many children she didn't know what to do. Yes, I'm sure some of us have always felt that way. Think about other moms in your life, women who maybe weren't your biological mom, but moms who played that role for you at some point. And I want you to think about why they needed to play that role for you. So you just Take a few seconds and think about that, because we're going to hit on that later on, and I want, to have, want you to have that person already in your mind. I know for me, I have several who played that role for me. This morning, we are going into the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're continuing in this series, and it's something that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was the leader of the church in Ephesus, and he was young, he was inexperienced, and he was dealing with a lot of issues that were going on in the church. Now, this book, as I said a few weeks ago, was not meant as a leadership manual for the church for all time. This book was written at a specific time to address very specific issues. And today we're seeing that it's going to be addressing issues of how we treat other people in the church, how we treat widows or people in need, and how we choose and we treat elders in the church. So that's what's going on here. So our scripture today uh, is chapter 5, but last week, I don't know how many of you are here, we were in chapter 4, and the message that we heard from Timothy to Paul, uh, from Paul to Timothy was, I'm encouraging you, even though you're young and inexperienced, don't let others look down on you. That was the message that we heard. Because you see, Timothy still needed to embrace the role of leader in the midst of a congregation who maybe was not viewing him as a legitimate leader because of his age and because of his inexperience. What Paul seems to be saying here in these verses is, treat people with respect. 
as if they were part of your own family. And even if you have authority over these people, because you are their pastor, you are their leader, don't just give orders. Now, I know that when I hear criticism or correction, and it's coming from a place of love, I am a lot more able to receive it. We all need to think about how do we sound to the person that we are giving feedback to? What's our motive? If our motive is not because we care about them and we want to help them get better, it's going to come across in a very negative way. And as we all know, how we say something, the tone we use can be even more important than what we say. Now, can't you just imagine these older men and women in the church thinking, who is this young guy? Where does he get off telling us what to do? I had four jobs by the time I was his age, right? Who is he? And that's what Timothy was dealing with. So a universal principle here that isn't just for this particular period of time, several thousand years ago, is always approach others with care and respect. Anything less is not honoring to God or others, and it's never it's never justified. So as we read on, we see in verses 3 through 8 kind of this strange list of widows. It starts to get really complicated, at least for me, when we see these special designations of who is really a widow and who is not. Now, clearly in this new church, there were issues that had not come up before. There must have been some problem with the care of widows and for trying to discern who really was in need. And so this is what they were trying to, trying to sort out here. You see, at this time in the culture, young women were marrying much older men, and so you would have an abundance of widows that would be coming up in the community. Now, in a list like this that Paul has given here, He's not trying to cover every possible situation, although he does seem pretty detailed, but rather he is giving some general guidelines to Timothy, and he's assuming that Timothy is going to be using his own uh, common sense to figure out what there might be special circumstances for. And this reminds us of, uh, reminds me of how we use our benevolence fund around here. Once a month on Communion Sunday, we have a benevolence offering, and that is for people who are in acute need, something comes up in their life, um, and we have guidelines on how we go about distributing that fund, and yet we look at every circumstance in its own merit, and we don't just say, here are the three criteria that we use. We wouldn't do that, and that's what Paul is assuming Timothy is going to do here with these widows. Now, why didn't Paul mention divorced women? Is it because the church shouldn't help divorced women? Of course not. It's because Paul and Timothy weren't dealing with that situation at this particular time. And this is the point that I've made before, where if you took the view that the Bible is a manual for present-day church, we would miss the broader message. And when you don't look at the entire book, all of a sudden you see contradictions. It says to do one thing in one part of the Bible, and it seems to be saying the opposite in another part of the Bible. Well, that's because we're using the same lens to read different parts that we need to, to, to contextualize. 
Does that make sense? It's like you can't, it, the, the Bible does not contradict itself. It's that we're reading it the wrong way. And so if someone were to say, well, it says in here we shouldn't help this group of people, well, that doesn't mean you don't. That means it just wasn't addressed there for, for a particular reason. Now, here is what I think the spirit of the law would mean. Let's just boil down this, uh, these verses here. Discern who's in real need and take care of them. That's what Paul's saying. That's how we can summarize this. See, there was no public assistance like we have now, and the church, uh, as we see in the book of Acts, was quick to step in and start caring for people in need. However, they realized they needed a strategy. They needed a plan in place or there was chaos. And it's also saying that aside from this system you need to set up for assisting people, the first line of defense needs to be the family. We read this in verse 8 where it says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, the remainder of this chapter that we didn't read, but I encourage you to go on to read, addresses elders in the church and the great care needed to choose and to respect those in leadership. A willingness to serve, it's not enough. To be a leader, there needs to be certain criteria used in choosing that person. Now, we're having many conversations here at Evergreen amongst the leadership team and the staff about how we identify and develop leaders. This is key to the health of our church. We need a long-term strategy to bring those of you, and yes, many of you sitting here are potential leaders, into the process that helps you discern God's call on your life and where he's asking you to serve. That's really important to know because the entire church needs to contribute and needs to be a part of the body of Christ. So I would hope that all of you here in this church would try to decide in this local church, where is God calling you to serve? Have you taken time to pray about that? Have you even thought that that's an option for you? We are so quick to criticize our leaders, but not many of us would be willing to put in the time and effort it takes, and it always comes at a cost to that person. So I would challenge you to write an encouraging word to someone on our leadership team or a ministry team leader. Pray for them. See how you can encourage them in the role that they have taken on for all of us. Now, it seems that respect and care of the church family was not uh, as big an issue for the church, that it is as big an issue for the church in Ephesus as it is for us in all of our churches today. People are people, right? Our circumstances might be different, but as King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, or in our case, under the clouds. So I want to circle back to, and let's see if this works. Maybe not. There we go. The first two verses. This idea of treating older women as mothers, because this is my tie-in to a Mother's Day sermon, so we've got to go back to this, all right? 
Paul is saying here that having a biological relationship is not the only criteria for honoring a mother. We all have women in our lives, as I mentioned before, who have filled that role for us at times. I know that even though I have sons, I've had the privilege of being a mom role figure to a lot of young women, and that has been really special for me. And now I have the joy of being a mother-in-law and having two amazing daughter-in-laws for, for um, women for daughter-in-laws. See, I got the best of both worlds. I have two great daughter-in-laws. I didn't have to raise them. And I can guarantee you that if I had raised them, they would not be nearly as great as they are. So I thought I would share a bit about my own mother and the relationship that she and I have. So here's my mom and me at the very beginning. And um, I have to tell you that you all know my mother is a shoe fiend. And when I saw this picture, I was slightly traumatized because I don't think I've ever seen her in comfortable shoes before. And I have to talk to her about that. Um, and then this is a picture of, at my wedding, my mom and I. Now, the, the image that I have of my mom, all of us when we are little kids, I think we have some kind of a freeze frame picture in our heads of our moms. And I'm just going to tell you the picture I have of my mom, and she would not be offended by this, okay? The image of my mom is she's sitting on the front porch in Hammond, Indiana, in the summer. It's very hot and humid. And she's drinking iced tea, and she's smoking cigarettes. And all the neighborhood moms would rotate porches, and they would go around every day, and they would visit with each other, drinking their iced tea, smoking cigarettes, and talking about who knows what. And all of us kids would be gone for a good eight hours, and they would never have seen us. So it's not that my mom was a bad mom. It was a different time and a different place. So this is one of my favorite. Some of, you, some of you can relate to this. My mom was not what I would call an engaged or present mom. She loved us, and she did way more for us than we ever saw. But as I said, it was a different time. And as I learned later and got older, she had her own stuff to deal with. Things my mother taught me, she would think this is funny. My mother didn't teach me sitting down like, here are things I want to impart to you. These are those things that are learned behavioral things. You just kind of learn them because you're around it all the time, right? She did teach me to love shoes. She had a closet full of shoes, and she delighted in them. She taught me, always have polish on your toenails. Doesn't matter if it was on your fingernails. I don't know why, but she never did not have polish on her toenails. She also taught me, if you ignore it, it will go away. Um, she also taught me, and she actually said these words to me, thinking she was being helpful. You don't have to be good at math. I wasn't either. Um, do whatever you have to do so that nobody feels bad. I have, uh, it's hard for me to see anybody in pain or feeling bad, and that's how my mom is. And here is the most important one that could explain a lot about me. Worry about everything. So I learned those gems from my mother, which probably can explain some things to you about me. My mom and I are very close. And we have been known to show up in the same shoes without knowing we've even bought those shoes. 
We've never had big arguments. When I was a teen, we got along okay, although I was much more uh, passive-aggressive in, in my disrespect for my mother. I never said it in front of her face. I would mumble it at, to the wall or talk about her to my friends. Now, she was not always the mom I needed her to be, and that was okay because God provided other women in my life to be that person I needed at a lot of times. There are times when your own parent is just too close and someone from the outside needs to be that mother figure for you. Sometimes you need to invest in someone else's child, whether you have your own or not. Serving with our kids and youth here at church is a great opportunity to form that kind of relationship that some kids need that don't have that with their own mom. The retreat this weekend was such a great picture to me of the older women and how they were encouraging the young moms and the younger women caring and respecting and learning from the older ones. Now, because my mom was so disengaged, what do you think I did? Well, my boys would tell you I was way too engaged. We can't win as moms, right? You may not have had the perfect mom or have been the perfect mom, but that doesn't mean that you have to still carry around mommy issues. It seems that mom, moms get blamed for everything in life that goes wrong. We either get all the glory or we get all the blame. Because moms are human, they're not going to be perfect. And the good news for all of us is that God created moms in his own image. So God embodies all the perfect qualities and characteristics of a mom. God is not male or female. God is spirit. And I have some verses that refer to um, God in motherly attributes. So here we are. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same, and even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you and deliver you. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Isn't that comforting to know? The only one who can be the mother that you really need and long for is God. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not calling God female. Again, God is neither male nor female. God is spirit. But God created men and women in his image, which means we women bear the image of God too. I want to read to you a story by a woman named Amy Simpson. I found this on a blog this last week. And I actually, I'm not reading the whole thing. I have the rest of it printed with more verses that are in the back on the table that you are welcome to pick up uh, after the church service. So I want you to just sit and listen to this. 
When I was 14, I lost my mother, not to death or divorce, but to schizophrenia, a disease that robs a person of the moorings of reality itself. Mom had always been fragile and often strangely distant, and as a child, I had sensed that I needed to protect her. She was gentle and kind, but she was not strong, and she moved through the world with a hesitancy that suggested constant threat. When I was a teenager, she completely lost touch with reality and started a journey our family was not prepared for. Like most cases of schizophrenia, mom's illness is treatable, but at first the treatments themselves impaired her functioning in even basic ways. We hoped for full recovery, but the following decades of hospitalizations, delusions, medications, relapses, and fragility made clear what we'd already guessed. The mom we knew and had hoped to see again was gone. Although physically present, emotionally and mentally, she was effectively absent much of the time. With dad preoccupied, my younger sister and I cared for mom and raised ourselves, with some help from our older siblings. I lived in survival mode during those teenage years. When I left home and finally had a safe distance, I began to feel acute grief for my mom and for myself. During college, I began working with counselors and bringing my grief before God. The process of healing began, but I continued to feel the sharp sadness as a young woman, a longing, that my friend, longing for what my friends had with their moms. One Mother's Day, I sat through another sermon that idealized moms, and I responded as usual. An acidic mix of anger, grief, and longing boiled to the surface. I opened, I had some time for myself, and perhaps for the first time, I opened the floodgates and let that wave come pouring out before me. When my sobs had settled into a quiet ache, I told God what I longed for, a mother who could guide me, pass along what she had learned about life around the corner, cheer me on, soothe me with reminders of her love, and occasionally let me rest in her wisdom and strength. I asked God to deaden my longing or to bring someone into my life who could partially fill this role. As I was praying, suddenly the phrase from Psalm 68.5 came to me, Father to the fatherless. Then I thought, mother to the motherless. This was a possibility I had not considered, that God himself could fulfill my need for a mother. Until this point, I had unconsciously thought of God as a bearded man in the clouds, even though I knew he was not a person like us. The masculine presentation of God was so ingrained in my thinking, I had missed all the ways God wants to be a mother to us. And I felt as if he was longing to do so for me. So I gave myself over to God's nurture, and I found comfort. I don't think of myself as motherless anymore. I still grieve, still ache the missing what I wish I'd had in this life. But now I take that ache straight to God and find what I need in his love and in his nurture. For even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. I don't know if any of you can identify with that in some way or another, but my guess is you can. So how do you feel about Mother's Day? Is it a positive or a negative thing? 
any feelings of love, softness, and warmth that the word mother elicits, God is all that and more. Do you have any unresolved or ongoing pain from issues from either your own mother or your struggle of being a mother or not being a mother? Is there someone who needs your motherly care? Who can you play that role for? How can you show honor to your mother or other women in your life who have done that for you? That person that maybe you thought about earlier when I asked you to think about if there was another woman in your life. Maybe you want to write that person a note or call them. And at last, as we think about honor and respect for mothers and for everyone that we read about in our church, is there someone that you need to treat with more respect here? Maybe someone you've been criticizing, but maybe respect needs to replace that. We are the body of Christ. God calls us to treat each other as such, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would challenge all of us to do that. It's not easy, I know, sometimes. But no matter what our experience is with motherhood, it doesn't matter. We can all celebrate this day, and we can be thankful for the mothers that we have acknowledging that they were never meant to be perfect. They were never meant to be everything for us. Only God can do that. He's the only one who will never leave us or forsake us. And we need to take our pain to him and let him heal us and give us a new perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the mothers in our life. We thank you, God, that you have used them even in ways that we can't imagine. We thank you, God, that you are the one who created mothers and you are the one who allows us to be good mothers. And so help us today to honor those we should and to bring to you our pain and grief and allow you to heal us. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that you are the perfect one and we can rely on you for all we need. In your name we pray, amen.